0: To where brains meet beauty, hosted by Jody Katz, founder and creative director of Base Beauty Creative Agency. Hey, everybody! It's Jody Katz, your host of Where Brains Meet Beauty podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. This week's episode features Anissa Telwar Kaker. She is the founder and CEO of Anissa International. And if you missed last week's episode, it featured Eve Carr Monperos. She's the founder and CEO of Creole Essence. Thanks for listening. Hey, everyone, before we get started into Anisa's episode, I want to let you know that her brand has offered all of our listeners a 20% off discount on their website, anisabeauty.com. And Anissa, they're the experts in makeup brushes and skincare brushes, so you'll definitely want to check them out. This offer is available for the whole year of 2021, so you'll have time to restock. The code to redeem is anisabeauty20. So that's anisabeauty E A U T Y two zero. And during launch week, we're doing a giveaway of Anissa Beauty products and also some Where Brains Meet Beauty swag. So check out our Instagram to enter. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. I am so excited to be here with Anissa Telwar kaker founder and CEO of Anissa
1: International. Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here, Jody. It's fun. It's really great to be doing this.
0: It's um, so cool to meet you. We had such a really fun conversation for our intake call. So I was so excited to come back together and see your face over Zoom and record for our listeners. Um, So when you said today, we'll start with my favorite question. It's become my favorite COVID question because before COVID, when we were actually like in the studio face-to-face with our guests, I would always ask about like, how are you gonna spend your day today? But I kind of feel like I know how everybody's spending their day today, which is in front of Zoom meetings and calls. So um, I've switched my favorite question to, um, you know, think back Back to the time that you were a kid, and um, when you think about what career meant to you, uh, what did you want to be when you grow up? Um, So tell us, what
1: was your fantasy job? So I thought it would be amazing to be a pediatrician, that I would want to go into the medical field. I thought, I loved my pediatrician. He was the best, and he was so helpful and sweet and kind (laughs) and smart. So I thought that's what I would want to do.
0: And how long did that um, dream to be a doctor um, stay alive for? I think
1: until I was about twelve. Until I realized what would be involved, you know, to get to having a fun office with toys and giving lollipops, that there was a lot of work and a lot of blood involved and all kinds of other things. So I just knew that wasn't going to be my thing. I just knew, even though I wanted the end result, I could not take the steps to get there.
0: Uh, that's so cool. So, um, yeah, there's blood, but there's also lots of boogers and, you know, you know, exactly. kid, kids are germy. I have two of them, so I can say that. Uh, so, yeah.
1: Yeah, that ear oh, thing. Mm-hmm. I I wasn't into that ear thing. <laughs>
0: um, well, um, you know, from um, the dreams of being a pediatrician to running your own international business, there's a lot that went in between. Um, so tell us about, you know, um, what your family's goals were for you um, when you were a kid. Do you remember what, you know, they were kind of pushing you to be?
1: Well, my dad was a professor and my mother was a homemaker until I was six and she wanted to go back to school. And so... You know, she was very young when she married my dad and had four kids. And I think the the path for me was going to be academic of some sort. That's why I think doctor was a path. Right. So it was always also about independence. I thought that was really interesting because I'm a first generation, you know, of my family born in the United States. My dad was born in Afghanistan. You know, my mother was born in Germany with Russian descent. And they were really, I think, very modern to think that I was not going to have to marry to have to take care of myself. They felt I could create my own destiny. And they always encouraged me. When I think about that now, I'm I'm pretty amazed by it. Even though my dad was pretty traditional when it came to my mother, that he allowed her to go back to school. He allowed her to work, even though there was four kids. Um, he was a pretty cool guy, you know, to do that.
0: So um, you mentioned to me that um, it didn't seem like a, um, it, it seemed like that their relationship started under duress, I think is how you you phrased it. Um, and I'm curious to know what that meant um being in a in a household. like did that um what did duress mean to you at that time, right? Like you already defined that they were modern. but um what what did the challenges that they faced? How did that um show up for you?
1: Yeah, it's a very good question. So, you know, these two people that came from very different parts of the world, and my dad was a lot older, and we ended up in the South. We ended up being raised in Bellevue, Tennessee, outside of Nashville. I don't look like I could be from Nashville, ever. And my mother was, you know, blonde and very light-skinned. My dad was super dark, so we were this mix. All of us looked like we could be different, you know, nationalities, and we're, we're raised in Nashville. And so they were very passionate people, these two people that came together. And, you know, their passions were, you know, there was a lot of energy going on. And they were very powerful, each in their own right. So if you could imagine, right? Like like kind of what's happening in this dynamic. You know, my dad's a really strong guy. He He really loves his family and his wife. My mother's a really strong woman and she just wants her independence. Like they met when she was super young 17. My dad was in his 30s. They got married by the time she was 19. She had four kids by the time she was 24. And she was a very charismatic woman. And she just had a drive. So she's being driven in one direction. He's trying to hold her, right? And he's being driven in one direction. And so it was a combustible, you know, uh, a lot going on that was really tough as children because what he was raised in Afghanistan, how you kind of dominate a bit, you know, in the home. And then my mother was not very easy to be with. (laughs) So it was hard for us kids. I mean, we loved our family. There was some kind of semblance of routine and all that. Um, But when they went at each other, it's really hard for children. And then when they divorced when I was 15, as much as it maybe needed to happen, it was it was very devastating for us.
0: Um, When you think about your own style as an adult of, um, meeting conflict, um, I guess what, what has your journey been, right? Like in, in business, there's always conflict, right? Like in our lives, there's conflict. We can't avoid it. It's part of life. Um, watching your parents' conflict, how how did that show up for you? And as you evolved your um, leadership style?
1: It's a really, again, uh, very deep, (laughs) um, it's it's a very deep question and there's been a real path about it. So the one thing about my parents is they didn't avoid conflict. They were not great at timing though, right? So I think with conflict, what I have learned over time, like I'm very direct, like I will tell you, but I have learned over time, over time, there is a way to be direct. Um, you know, I am not a passive person, but I have learned when to have these conflict type situations Uh, which you know in the beginning I was like I'm independent I'm I need to exert my you know myself and I need to not let anybody dominate me and uh, you know that hasn't always worked (laughs) I have made some really bad mistakes uh, being too direct Uh, maybe the conversation should have definitely happened but how who should have been in the room what should my tone of voice been Uh, Being able to watch myself, you know, because my dad, when he got angry, his eyes would bug out. So when I get intense, my eyes bug. I could have nothing going on. Like, I'm not really that upset, but I probably look like, you know, I'm going to take somebody's head off. Uh, You know, having the self-awareness was not there in the beginning. And now realizing, of course, challenges, conflict, directness is what people will welcome if we have some self-awareness in how we approach them. So it has been trial and error and i'm not saying it's perfect but i also do my best not to get as wound up or manic about it right where we kind of brew like i need to have this conversation and what are they thinking and how am i gonna you know i don't know if you understand all that (laughs) i do you know i the reason i'm
0: asking is because um i um I, I live my life now as, like, a pretty measured person intentionally. So um, while in my earlier days I think of myself as just sort of bratty in the workplace and in my personal life, it's just sort of like, you know, I want it now, right? And, like, that, and just sort of um, more selfish in the way that I communicated. And um, I've learned a lot and a lot of therapy and coaching. And um, I measured with intention because um, it's the – Uh, most serene and peaceful way to get to what my goals are. So um, I measured with my um, team, I measured with my clients, I measured with my kids, I measured with my husband. doesn't mean that I don't, of course, like, you know, have a temper tantrum every once in a while, but I think about the timing of these things. You know, like you mentioned, the timing is everything. And I try to teach that to my kids too um, because um, I think there's a a saying, uh, say what you mean, but don't say it mean. Have you heard that before? Um, right. So like, I, I, can, like that. I can do that when I'm thinking about the timing of it. Right. So, I mean, just last week I got furious. Like a client asked for something. And I was like so mad, you know, like I felt so Um, I took it so personal, even though, you know, this is work. It's not personal, but it's hard to separate sometimes. And over the course of the weekend, I like had my rage. I had my temper tantrum. Like literally I just sometimes just stand there and like stomp my feet because I don't, you know, there's nothing else to do. Yeah. And um, then tried to be like, OK, how do I reframe this as an opportunity? so that when I do actually have the conversation with the client, I'm not a ball of rage because that's not fair to her. So, um, yeah, this whole idea of timing is so valuable. Um, But, I mean, I think it's okay to be emotional, but just in a measured way.
1: The thing that I used to tell myself and how I – feel through it now through COVID too, is that when I know something, I want to tell somebody. Like, I don't like to keep secrets. I don't want it in my body. So it was a very selfish thing, kind of like what you, I mean, I don't know if you meant that, but I felt like it was selfish. It was about what I needed in that moment to get it out of me, because I couldn't contain it anymore. I felt like I had this secret and I just needed to get it out. Um, however, also there is, you know, my therapist has said to me, like when people have, have said something to me and I've just been like, are you kidding me? She's She says, you know, let me just think about that. You know, she really wants me to be less reactive and more about like, let me just get back to you about that, which is the hardest thing because I just want to make a decision, I want to move on, I want to keep going. And that has been tough to learn, even in a positive. Even when I know I want to do something great for someone or I want to move forward, she still wants me to take a minute, (laughs) you know? I think it's a really,
0: Valuable practice, though, especially during COVID. I mean, I feel like my life is like 10 hours a day, like in front of a Zoom like this, you know, and like the room gets hot and I, I don't have enough breaks in between. And um, to take a few seconds or minutes or sometimes hours or days to just pause is um, uh, really healthy right? As opposed to being like, boom, yes. boom, 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 You know, it's, it's a lot. I think it takes so much like energy to keep that pace going. Right. So I love this idea of like actually pressing pause on decision-making, even if you know the answer, like why, why can't you just let it, let it be out there for a little while before you um make it definitive?
1: I mean, I think it's what I got kind of from the, Working for my mother, everything was so urgent because she it was urgent at the time. It was life or death at the time in some ways. You know, she was taking care of four kids. She had a company like she was on her own. So I got all that frenetic energy to create, but sometimes the energy of creation doesn't have to be chaos, right? It doesn't have to be this manic energy to, to develop and you know, whatever it is. Now creation can be calm. And that has been something I am learning. Um, and actually people respond better right they can create better in calm uh, so that is my my hope to continue
0: right my goal my daily goal is serenity I don't always get there mm. um but if I can especially keep, with two kids <laughs> well they're I mean they're 13 and nine they're pretty easy to be around now oh, thankfully that's great. um great. I do feel for parents with little, little kids at home during this time. It's um, You look too you young
1: know. to have a 13 and a nine-year-old.
0: <laughs> Thank you. I love skincare. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, um, I do think that it's so valuable to um, create a goal for myself of serenity, which I can't always achieve, but I do think it opens a door to more joy in my work right? Like I started a business because it seemed more fun than working for someone else, right? So like fun is really always at the root of this for me. And I guess if I wanted to be a bazillionaire, I would have picked a different industry. Um, so the goal is really fun. The goal is being creative. And for sure, I can do that more. My team can do that more if like serenity is our guiding force, you know.
1: So small. Huh. I wish somebody would have told me that. <laughs> you know, it's
0: it's taken a lot of roadblocks to get here and it's not every day. Like I get, you know, I get stuck in my own head and, you know, these ideas say, uh, what do they say? Like, um, these like angry ideas live in my head rent free, right? I need to get them out. Um,
1: but you know, it's good to have a goal. (laughs) Yeah. I had another mentor recently say to me, if I'm having a thought I don't like just say next. So that's what mm-hmm. I've been doing is just saying next. Anytime I think something, I'm going down that road and it's been working, you know, when I remember to say it. And um, I think, I mean, it's it's pretty powerful, the thought of serenity. And because the thing is, it has a ripple effect. There's people that depend on us that need our energy to be grounded so that we can then grow our business because we can't just grow it on our own, right? So if they're calm, if they're mm-hmm. serene, They're gonna make better decisions. We don't have to get in the weeds with them all the time. They can feel more comfortable to make mistakes. They can come to us easier. They know we're gonna be calm. Um, Yeah, I don't know why nobody talks about that. (laughs) Like we should, as leaders, right? And not a fake calm, it has to be real. It's not like I have this facade and I'm gonna leave you and then I'm gonna flip out, you know, with my executive team, which sometimes does happen. But, um, you know, it's just, can it be authentic calm? Can we really lead with that? I think is a good goal.
0: Yeah, um, I think that that idea of authenticity and being real about it is crucial. So faking calm, I mean, I think that's what we probably grew up with. Well, I mean, well, you grew up in your own business. So what I would have grown up with, right, in like industries where like I wasn't the boss and, you know, I didn't make the final decision, um, there would have been this like facade of calm or this facade of I got it or this facade of I'm cool. Um, But that wasn't actually real. So the idea of like, you know, truly like seeking this out and knowing that every day you're a human and it's not going to be easy every day. I think that's the fix, right? Like being honest.
1: Yeah. And being, you know, vulnerable, which is no fun. You know, like being vulnerable in front of people, making mistakes, you know, showing them that we're, you know, nervous or scared or like we don't have all the answers, that's been the best part to tell you the truth about covid where I got to be vulnerable and not like act like I knew everything. And they were okay with it because they didn't know everything either. Like that's been the one gimme here about compassion um for each other and ourselves. Like I don't I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but I'm going to do the best I can today. It's the first time I ever really have said that.
0: That's so interesting that you bring that up because I remember um pre-covid I, um it was um our holiday party. So I guess sometime early December last year. And, um, I was like, you know, what do I want to say to my team right now? Like our, our company, like quadrupled in size last year. And it was really like my dreams literally came true. And I said to them, like, I've never done this before. I've never had this many employees. I've never had an office like this. I've never had these type of clients. Like everything we're doing every single day is brand new to me. Right. And, um, I said it because I wanted to be vulnerable. I wanted them to know that like, You know, we're all just figuring it out together. Um, The craft we do every day, that's, you know, that's easy. Being creative is easy. But like the putting the pieces together in this bigger way is more challenging. So um, it felt so good to say that out loud. It felt so good to be honest about like, you know, they probably look at me and think I've done this before, right? The people who haven't been with me as long, like, but when, when have I ever led a business this big? Never. <laughs> like, this is what I've been waiting for and working for. So it felt so exciting to say that. And I remind my team of that often. Like, I've never done this before.
1: I love it. And they're still with you. <laughs>
0: Well, yes. Um, I'm so grateful for them. I mean, my team works so hard and harder even now because uh you know, everything is just so complicated and compromised. Our time is compromised, our um psychic energy is compromised, clients are nervous about, you know, a thousand things. So it's it's certainly complicated. Mm. Um, I want to talk about your your career journey because you told me it started at the age of 17 in your in your garage. <laughs> so this almost sounds like a, a tech story, right? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, it was it was my mother's business and I started working with her, you know, really when I was 12, we started making little marketing kits in the garage, cutting out brochures and putting her then logo on top and making photocopies and and you know, then I started using a telex machine, which I don't know if you know what that even is, and then I started faxing and then, you know, then from 17 onward I was working with her. I did my first international trip with her. We went to Turkey together. We walked through large warehouses where she was going to import things to the United States which were going to be you know, rugs at first. And then, you know, I started, you know, full-time when I was 21, really supporting her in the, you know, financial aspect. I went through IRS audits. I did, you know, learn payroll things. I worked with her accountant. I um, was doing business development. I was understanding about letters of credit. I was understanding about banking. Yeah, I mean, my world in a very, you know, short period learned international trade from a woman who was also learning it it was super intense and dynamic and expected a lot. Um, my age, she didn't care. I don't think she remembered how, how old I was half the time. And I had to do what she needed because, you know, we were supporting the family. And for some reason, she acted fearless, right? She didn't show a lot of fear. When I did see that, it would be very scary. you know, when they, when my parents divorced, there was a year that she was very depressed. But then she just picked herself up and she just ran you know, into this opportunity and never looked back until you know, it got really bad or the company dissolved and then she didn't know what to do. But then she f- started figuring it out and figuring it out and figuring it out. But then I had to go start my own business. So
0: how did Learning International Trade turn into Brush Expertise?
1: So while I was working with her, a gentleman walked into my mother's business um, on West End in Nashville, Tennessee. This guy comes in, and he's from Korea, and his family, manufactures cosmetic brushes. And I said, tell me more. And so it was interesting because it aligned to me with fashion. You know, when you're talking about makeup, and I was like, wow, well— I'm about to take a trip to New York. I was 21 at the time. I said, let me see if I can call on Revlon for you. So I just picked up the phone and said, can I come see you? I have something very unique. Little did I know, I didn't have anything unique. This guy was kind of pulling my leg a little. And so he could make brushes. He did have a family that could make brushes, but he was only 25 and I'm only 21. So if you could imagine what that situation was. And then, however, you know, because it, I don't know, something pulled me, you know, something said to me, there's a conversation I can have here that's very different because I called on someone that was a man. And I was like, how does this guy know anything about brushes? Like I'm a woman, I don't wear makeup that much, but I know, you know, brushes a lot more than he does. And I have a gentleman who can make anything I want. And he says, he'll help me. So I naturally started to get in product development and marketing. It just, just resonated, right? Cause it's like a puzzle. You have to figure out the pieces. You have to figure out what engages people. Is it a color? Is it a conversation? And it just got me excited. And I started reading about business, think and go rich, you know, Zig Ziglar, you know, the power of positive thinking by Norman Vincent Peale. I realized that the sales part of it, I was gonna have to break through a lot of fear because I was really scared. I was super insecure. And I was able to start teaching myself. You know, I was able to bring in tools and trust the process, uh, and just create, you know, create this business, create myself, create all of it. And I had good people who, so you know, I always got signs along the way, I'm going in the right direction, you know, where people would just kind of walk in and be like, you're doing the right thing, but just pivot this way a little bit. And I fell on my face a lot, but I really do like financial independence. And I feel like I got that from starting my own company.
0: So, Anita, I, I have, I mean, it's kind of like an existential question. Maybe it's A little bit much for the podcast, but I, you know, I look at my, my, I look back and see my headspace in my 20s. Like, I want to, I want to be in like an image driven industry and blah, blah, blah. So, like, that's where I always headed. I didn't know why. It's just, you know, what appealed to me pop culture appealed to me. So uh, I did that. I'm like, well, I want that better job and I want that better job. And then I want this better job whatever this meant to me at the time which I think was just like what other, how other people perceive the job right um like I didn't want to work in an industry that wasn't cool by other people's standards and um so now I'm here and I've been running my own business for almost 14 years and it's hard and sometimes it sucks and sometimes it's great um and I look at my friends in my age group and they're you know becoming like the CEOs and the CMOs of a brands big and small and then i'm like but so this is what we were always aiming for like the what the what we're doing right now and it seems really um i don't know like this big idea like but okay now what (laughs) right like um have there ever been these feelings like i don't even know how to like catalog these feelings but like so we've done it we're doing it (laughs) <laughs> what now what and my now what sometimes isn't even about beauty it's about like other industries or other things am I like am I like doing this when I'm actually supposed to be doing this at age 60 but I'm doing it at age 44 like what's happening in my brain right now can you help guide me
1: it's it's normal right what your your brain is active right <laughs> it probably you have to work to calm your brain down not to become more engaged you're always thinking about possibilities And that's okay. Uh, The thing that, you know, I was the same. I have done several little things as side gigs. I go do them, I'm like, eh, you know what I mean? If you need to do a side hustle, you wanna do a side gig, there's nothing wrong with that. It's more about expansion of who you already are. Now, I don't know how you label yourself, right? I'm a CEO. This, this, this. This is what my skill set is. This, this, and this. This is where I, you know, like I know for me the philanthropic part of why I do that. It gave me that layering because I was able to then focus on things that also expanded and give a skill set and give joy in a different way because I'm just not one of those people that needs another car or another house. You know, yes, I'd like a plane. I don't know if that'll ever happen. (laughs) But um, I'm not, I've just never been one of those people that I did it, let me show you what I have. It's always been about, what am I growing? Like, what am I building? That's what I think my mother taught me. Like I'm building something. And so based on you, what you're building, what are the other little building blocks that you need, right, what is your empire gonna be? When somebody first said, you know, I had an empire, I thought that was really funny. But then I start to look, because I still am that little kid in that garage sometimes. You know, I got a factory, got two factories in China, got two satellite offices, I have this many employees, I've done this much philanthropic work, and I'm still like, I'm just doing this, right? I'm still like, I'm just that person. Um, I can't. You can't see yourself right now, and we usually don't see how much we've done. And what I would do is, because you're doing a lot of work on yourself, is just trust the process. Write down what you're thinking. It doesn't mean you have to do it. But what is it about that little thing you're thinking that maybe you feel like you're missing? You know, maybe there's just a small nugget. Maybe you want to travel more for inspiration. Maybe it's something you want to teach, you know, like maybe it's like, look at what you're doing with like, you know, what I mean, like you're just trying to layer who you are. And that's what's amazing about you, you know? Well, maybe um, that's interesting that you said like how
0: like what we do is like it actually I, I guess there's so much more there's. There's so much more potential, like, right when you're an ambitious person. So maybe, like, okay, the, the the doing what I've always dreamed of doing and literally having my dreams come true is amazing, but I, I guess it's not as hard as it used to be, right? So I have more room. I have room for more, yes. right? Um, yes. And I think you're totally like, i um, tapping into something that I've been like during COVID, I sort of had to put aside these other pursuits, because it was just like chaos, right? And um, need to keep the business functioning. Um, so but uh, the the I really love leadership, like in training, leadership and guiding. So like, maybe that's what I'm missing, right? I don't get to do that right now, because it's just not a priority. Yeah, like, There's just not enough time in the day so yeah and the wanderlust is like full full on right now yes (laughs) so yeah maybe i'm just like i need to fill up some buckets you know whatever way i can um and some of my buckets are empty right now
1: yeah and i think it's okay i think you know you need to be empty so that you when you make the choices to start to fill again it's a conscious because i think all of us were running 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 when i think about how much i was doing and going and seeing and being and when life kicks off again, well, it's more open. I'm really curious, what am I going to accept back in, right? Like, it doesn't just have to be full to be full. And that's what I want to make sure I focus on. Whenever I allow back in, it's really going to fill me up, right? Oh, I love that, right? Because this is sort of a pause from having to say
0: yes to things, right? Um, you're, you have, I guess, more... Um... More opportunity to curate selectively
1: because you've had to curate yeah. extremely. And it's okay to be empty. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it's good that we empty for a minute because what's kind of filling me up right now is very interesting. It's really like I sit in my meditation room, right? I'm like really like enjoying like looking at the things around me that have been around me and looking at them differently, you know? Um, yeah. So I, this has been, you know, silver linings. Hopefully we all come out of this. People get to go back to work. I mean, everything that we're dealing with right now. But I think we can all look back and say, wow, my whole life shifted at that moment. You know?
0: So um, you're running your business, you have two international factories, and then you have the the business office based in the US. Are you um, 100% family privately owned at this point? Yes. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's, So few of you out there, Anissa, right? So many businesses um, sell or get like, you know, huge um, infusions of capital from private equity. Um, Why are you still owner operated and and, um,
1: owned? It's a good question. I think that I didn't need anybody else's money to do what I needed to do. I also, when I started, had some small partners and I I saw the control they could have even if you have thirty percent and if something goes awry it's very difficult uh, to navigate and I feel like I have enough people telling me what to do my customers my employees my you know myself I didn't need more voices in my head um, I wish I would have had you know maybe more um, support and sense of advisory or like a board a more formal board I've really never had that uh, so. I think that's where I missed out a little bit and still. But it's hard to find the right people. So advisors, mentors, who really know my business more than I do now, it's kind of tough. But now to scale is the big questions. Like with us starting the brand, um, this D2C brand, do I want to risk everything You know, that's in the organization? But now, again, what do I want to do? Do I want to be in control? Do I want to take some chips off the table? What do I want? And COVID kind of stopped everything. So that's been good. So I don't have to think about that right now, which I really appreciate.
0: Right. And if you want expertise that's outside your organization, you can just hire it, hire it, right? Why do you need someone to take control of
1: the company? Correct. Right? You don't. Unless I'm ready to exit. Right. Unless I'm ready to be done, you know? Right. So,
0: um, you know, there's really just so few brands, um, companies that um, have scaled that are still privately owned. Um, I think I've talked to you and maybe one or two other people at this point, um, which is really fascinating, right? It used to be the opposite, right? Everybody just sort of, you know, they had bank loans or, you know, they just made it work until they grew. Um, is there a pressure on you to sell the business or, um, you know, have, have, um, like, do you feel these like kind
1: of, um, peer pressure or internal pressures, um, to kind of play that game? Yes, yes, before COVID, 100%. And I think talking to you when we first spoke and met and you, you gave me a really good perspective on some businesses that they start out and they're churning and burning all this private equity money. They're not really making money. That's never been my nature, right? That's not who I am. So I'm not gonna wanna take somebody else's money and waste it or take somebody else's money and not make money. Like my worth as a business person, entrepreneur, CEO is to make money. At the end of the day, at the end of the year, we will have a positive cash flow. If we don't, it's a problem to me. So I think I just can't change that mentality and I don't want to. The thing is, I, yeah, I wanna keep up with the Joneses. I wanna be cool. Like, I wanna be like, oh yeah, you know, my multiple is this or whatever. Like, yeah, sure, you know, like that's in the paper and like, oh, so-and-so bought, whatever. I'm just not ready to be done. I just, I'm sorry. I don't wanna to have to report to someone else right now. And that's what happens. The day that happens, it means I'm done. I just don't want to report to anybody. Right. I don't need to. Right. Uh, that's arrogant I mean, or whatever. Um, Anissa, at this point, I
0: feel like I mean, you've been an entrepreneur for a lot longer than I have. But um, after 14 years, I feel like I'm I'm unemployable. How could I have a boss? Like exactly. it's like it would be impossible. I could never like I might I I think I like get hives, you know, and itchy, and my eyes would swell shut, and you know, like I it, there's just nothing about that that. Um, I, I would rather just start over, you know, and grow something else than, than do that at this point. But, you know, when we were on the phone... Um, last week we were talking about industries where, um, you know, the, the conversation is all about, all about growth, like revenue, 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 and they're, um, they're industries that really value, um, not having a profit. Like they, they see that as a value and, um, it's like what the media likes to cover. Um, it's the brands who are obviously spending a lot of money on advertising because they're burning through money. So you, they're, they're visible and you hear about them, but, never in my heart was like, I want to run a business and not make any money. Like, it doesn't make any sense to me. I get it. It's a strategy. You know, it's, it's something that people do. It's just not, um, it's just not inside of me. Right. So I do, I do sometimes look at these other businesses and like, oh my God, look at how much they're growing. But like, well, what did it take? Like what, what soul did they need to sell to get there?
1: Well, I also saw my mother go through it where she was highly leveraged the stress it would be day to day on all of us when I was managing the finances, when all the bills were coming in, oh, the money's coming, you know, like, that was not a fun way to live. Mm -hmm. And then I also had a really good mentor who taught me about, you know, he used the word, you know, that we are slaves to money if we don't control it, if we have debts, if we have things we owe. I've never wanted that feeling, you know? It's not fun, it's so much stress. So I don't. I don't want to live like that, right? And there's, um, I think, there's two
0: different types of personalities in that situation. There's people like you who are like that. That's awful. And then there's people who say, um, I don't care about that now because I'm looking at the goal in five years, and they they don't they don't um, take on the emotion of that. Um, what what you Correct. think is torture,
1: they just think is process, right? Um, so I'm built like you. Yeah, but they're not really. I feel like they're not really invested though. It's and like, to me, there's something very ethereal. They don't see money the way, you know, maybe that's the problem. Maybe, you know, like a whole nother conversation, but they don't see it as something real, right? That's right. And also they're, yeah, but they don't also like their valuation and actual how much cash they have is a different situation. <laughs> so if they walked away from it, I mean, I don't know. Like, what would they? I don't know. I have no. Right, idea. but this is a world. I, I just don't yeah. want this to fail. He said that's a yeah. world
0: where people are playing with other people's money. So it isn't real, right? Yes. It is Monopoly money. Yes. Um, and for you, it's personal. Yes. For me, it's personal. My personal, like the, um, like the. Um, the shadow person that follows behind me when I'm having a bad day is the fear of financial insecurity. You know, like I've had years that are like so hard, you know, where yeah. I like literally like didn't have a penny to spend on something indulgent. And and the indulgence could have been an iced tea at the coffee shop, you know, like, like that. And then... um, then I've had much better years. Like last year was like, literally dream comes true. Like the best clients, the best team, like actual money, you know, like money coming into the business, more money coming in (laughs) than going out. Right. So, um, but I, 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 that's, that's the shadow that follows me around when I'm having low days is that fear. Um, Because I see it as real, right. It's my livelihood. It's my kids vacations, right. It's. um, And it's
1: your, you have employees now, like don't like to me, I have people who work for me, like, I just actually care about you know what would happen to them if I was like hey I can't do this anymore. Like I I some days I would be like I really don't want to do this anymore and I have a lot of obligation. I don't know how I'd be able to sleep at night. So that's again this consciousness or whatever it is for me that I've come into this world with that is what I feel my responsibility is to live like and I've accepted it instead of starting to res- you know resist it that I'm not right. one of the cool kids, you know. This is just who I am and it's okay with
0: me. Yeah. I love that you mentioned the cool kids because um, <laughs> this is going so full circle for me, Anissa, because, um, you know, in like the advertising world, you know, think about like the 90s and the early 2000s is like about having that expensive furniture in the lobby and it was about like being, you know, in all these fancy places and that was like never me. I just didn't care. I'm not, I'm not into fashion. You know, it just wasn't a world that I was a part of and I thought that was like a huge detriment to my potential to grow the business and I, um, eventually I, you know, got my head screwed on a little bit in therapy, started working with coaches. And I'm like, cool is, is, I'm I'm not cool. That's fine. But we're like the new cool. Like COVID's proved to us like everything I've been working for <laughs> is like, well, we're really good at this. Like, this is what makes us cool. And it's not the fancy furniture. So um, I had to give that up, you know, that I'm yes. not like the other people.
1: Yes. It, it was hard. It took a long time. Yeah. I'm, I think I'm there. I think I'm really there. Like, and like you said, during COVID that I'm still standing, like all like I, I get a lot of stuff from like just employees, ex-employees, like the things they'll say. And now I'm like, why have I ever listened to them ever? Like they're not running a business. They're not responsible for anybody. I was paying their paycheck. I mean, where the insecurity came from, again, that's another thing. And the confidence, that's just been my journey that I've had to work through as a person. And I'm, I work really hard every day to just, understand that hey like take a look around like wake up you know to what is happening which is really good even on the worst day it's a good day so
0: Anisa, I love this conversation the whole point of starting this podcast was to show like the human side of our business and not the robot side and this is making me this is a great start to my week so I'm super oh, grateful thank you
1: thank you thank you thank- for what you're doing I'm like, I want to know your story, too. I got to learn a little more. Like the 14 years, I want to understand what you do. And like, I just learned so much from people. Like what you've been through, I'd love to hear. So I hope that's somewhere that I can watch, too.
0: Yeah, yeah, well, maybe we can also just have a chit-chat on the side. But I'm so grateful for you sharing your wisdom with our listeners today. This has been so fun to get to know you. Thank you. And for our listeners, I hope you enjoy this interview with Anisa. Please subscribe to our series on iTunes. And for updates about the show, follow us on Instagram at where Brains Meet Beauty Podcast. Thanks for listening to Where Brains Meet Beauty with Jody Katz. Tune in again for more authentic conversations with beauty leaders.